Hello, welcome to Sip Tea with Allie, guys. And today, I'm here with my pretzels and my sugared peppermint candle and my water. I also got my diffuser going right now. Um, I'm using this Snowy Day blend. Uh, smells like just peppermint goodness in here. I love it, guys. Anyways, today... I wanted to talk about a bunch of different stuff, just kind of like my episode where I talked about Little Women and other different things that I'm liking. So today I found that when I'm extremely anxious that cleaning or reorganizing, kind of like redecorating or rearranging stuff in my room helps me a ton. It just helps you to develop like a really good clean mindset and feel like you're you have some sort of control over your life so today for example I decluttered my desk and I took off some stuff because I felt like it was a little busy it still is kind of busy there's just a lot that I like to keep on my desk but it's not really in my way so it's it's okay but I added this little kind of like stress relief corner on my desk it sounds a little weird guys but hear me out it has like a stack of candles so I can go through Um, a lot of them are seasonal candles so very Christmassy type candles so I have that in a corner with my what's what's basically what's left of this essential oil blend that is it's sadly coming to the bottom of the bottle so I'm a little sad about that but it's there in this corner of my desk and then I have a fake plant it looks pretty darn realistic it feels realistic it's just this cute little tiny plant I got from like the five and under section at Target it was like three dollars I think and it's cute so I might get a few more to put around my room because why not um I am (sighs) what's sad guys is that like I've always wanted to have a lot of plants and I've tried but I just, I can't keep them alive for the life of me. I've tried several times. Um, I got this really cute succulent plant for my dad on my birthday. And, oh my gosh, I killed it. It was big and it lasted for several months. I was surprised and it should have still have been alive by now. But no, it's like, it died a few months ago and I'm sad. And it's okay because I ended up adopting this fake plant and it hasn't been bothering my allergies. And you know, another thing too is a lot of people are like so against fake plants because they get all dusty as long as you're just like, they're not huge plants. I mean, you could even dust off your fake plants. So I don't know. I'm a big lover of plants. I just can't keep them alive. So I have a little fake one on my desk and it makes me feel very happy to just to look at it because I don't know there's something about plants that give me good vibes because it's like this sense of like they're each plant is like unique and they're all growing and they're not perfect it's like it's like us I don't want to be one of those people who's like oh you gotta get all these plants and you gotta save the planet no like I'm not one of those people but I do think that there is a lot of beauty and symbolism behind nature and that's why I really like having my fake plant on my desk and so I think that it's just it's it's nice to have on my desk I don't know guys I like it 
Um, and then I have my diffuser over there. And then I have this little, um, it's just like a cutout of this thing I printed. Um, and I like taped with washi tape on my wall. And it just says, Courage to your heart, which is a C.S. Lewis quote from um, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I like it. It's just a cute little reminder, something I can see. I don't know. I just like it. So I I did notice that if if I'm really anxious that rearranging, kind of redecorating my, like an area I spend a lot of time in helps a ton, guys. Like I'm still kind of anxious, but hey, at least I feel a little bit more refreshed, a little more renewed. I don't know. Anyways, I think it's like, I don't know, I feel like this idea is genius, but to have like a little anxiety corner, stress-reducing corner with like candles that I can light, a fake plant, essential oils, like all that kind of stuff, I don't know. I'm such a like, I don't know. I love smelling things. I love seeing things. Like, I just love my senses being at work, if that makes sense. And apparently, it's been scientifically proven that that's super important for someone who struggles with anxiety. You want to be grounded, you want to be engaged, so you you do things to evoke the senses. So the sense of smell. So it's like an exercise you can do, like you kind of pause and let yourself just be in the moment and you you take in the smell of where you're at. And then you touch something and you feel it. Um, you, you speak. There's all these things that you can do, like little exercises that kind of help make you feel grounded. And it's not in like a meditative yoga way. It's like just a way of I guess like telling yourself that you're alive and that you're okay, that nothing's happening. Your body's just going through something and you just need to like refocus and focus on something else. So I don't know, having that little corner and cleaning and just getting up and moving around helps a ton because I was really struggling to study and I got super duper anxious because I had a ton of coffee this morning and coffee and anxiety don't mix very well, but I was tired. I love the taste of coffee. I've become... I don't know, I've become a little dependent on it, let's say. I think I mentioned this in my last episode. <laughs> and I was like, guys, I'm trying to stay off coffee. What did I do? I've been drinking it a ton. And I just love iced coffee. It hits different, guys. But I made a horrible mistake and had too much of it this morning. I've been kind of like jittery all day. Haven't been feeling that well. So, you know, I took a break from studying because I was having a hard time concentrating since I was so jittery and I just got up and I decided I was going to rearrange my desk. I looked at it and I was like, no wonder I don't feel motivated. Like it's clean, but it's not how I want it to be. And it's a little too cluttered at the moment. So I just took everything off my desk and I kind of wiped it down. I placed everything in a new way that I felt like was more organized and added a few new things and now I feel like it's a good place I want to work at. Um, so when I came home from taking my sibling somewhere, I ended up coming straight to my desk because I felt very motivated to get stuff done. And 
talking to you guys is kind of like a way of me getting into the swing of being more productive. Um, I've noticed that when I make podcast episodes, it kind of puts me in a good mindset and it helps me to kind of think about my thoughts, process them, and it's kind of, again, I've mentioned this before, kind of like an open journal. Obviously, I'm not going to tell you my entire being and like everything going on in my life. Um, I'm not going to do that. What's funny is people, I'm a pretty open book, but people don't think I am. And I honestly am not really an open book. I don't know if that makes any sense, but if you've studied any of the Myers-Briggs personality types, I'm an INFJ. And INFJs tend to be like, have like 50 different personalities. That's just, that's an over-exaggeration, guys. But that's kind of how they're described. So our personality adapts to atmospheres that we are in and whether or not we feel comfortable. So let's say I'm in a big group setting and this group setting has a lot of extroverted people, maybe an ENFP or something that just is really out there and loud and just putting themselves out there, I'm going to be in the back being quiet and having a lot of stuff going on in my head. I'm going to have so much I wish I could add to the conversation, but I feel like it's not my place, so I don't. And that's kind of how I work in those type of settings. And then switch it over to people I'm comfortable with, a smaller group of people, maybe people that are, you know, that have a similar personality type to me or are more on the quiet side, I'm going to be talkative. It's weird. People will think, are you are you extroverted? And I'm like, no, I'm not extroverted. But I could talk your ear off, as you guys can tell. So it really depends on the setting. Like, here I am in my room by myself. Of course I'm comfortable in my room by myself. So I can talk and talk and talk. But again, I'm still not an open book to everyone. Like, I'm not going to tell the whole world everything going on in my life. So it's kind of just a little bit about me and a lot of people think that they know me and then it turns out you can only learn so much about me because I still will make it seem like you know a lot about me but really you don't. It's confusing. Um, Like I could be very comfortable around you and you still wouldn't know everything about me because I just have so much of me that it's hard. To like put into words. I don't know if that makes sense. Whereas someone who has, you know, an extroverted personality that's very out there, very bubbly, and I don't know, is really good at, at, at expressing themselves and their thoughts and their feelings. Like those people are usually a very open book, like so open that sometimes it's like they don't have a filter. So it's kind of like, I feel like introverted people have like too much of a filter at times and extroverted people don't have a filter. So it's kind of like, where where can we meet in between, you know? <laughs> um, but basically, INFJs tend to be like very, they just adapt to who they're around, who they feel comfortable with, the situation, the people, everything. So they just really take a lot in and they have a lot going on in their head all the time and they find this constant need to outwardly express it but like at the same time they can't so a lot of INFJs will turn to music or other creative outlets because it allows them to express themselves or someone else can put it into words 
better than they can and that's why they turn to songs and they're like oh my gosh this is exactly how I feel they were reading my mind you know so that's kind of what INFJs are like that's what I'm like and I've noticed that like it's just I don't know it's weird but like if someone's extremely extroverted it's harder for me to like have a voice And it makes sense. I think that's kind of like for any introverted person, they let the extroverts kind of take over. And that's something I'm trying to like not let happen. I'm trying to put myself out there more. I'm trying to tell myself that that my voice does matter in a group setting, even if it doesn't seem like it does. So if you are introverted and you feel that you have a really hard time expressing yourself or putting things into words or you'll replay something over and over and over again or you'll like kind of pre-plan a conversation with someone it's like I I know it sounds a little bit much but it's true and you'll kind of like (laughs) re-plan I don't know and then it's like you'll just like be going throughout your day and then you be like, oh, so I'm meeting so-and-so today. I got to have some, like, conversation starters just in case I talk to them today. Or, I'm, or you, know, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's really weird. But just kind of my personality type, things I observed, like, over the years with people from other different personality types and kind of how I act in group settings. So it's kind of like, okay, there's nothing wrong with that because that's how I am. I just have to learn how to still put myself out there. And that's something that I've been working on for a little while is like trying to find my own introverted voice. Um, Like how can I, as someone that tends to enjoy quiet time, you know, one-on-one time with someone that likes spending time at home now. I didn't always used to be that way, but it's like, as I get older, I'm like, ew, who wants to leave the house and do stuff, you know? And that's kind of typical, but there are people out there who strive being around people. And I did notice that through, like, I don't know how to, like, describe it, but, like, I've talked about this before, but I said that COVID made me a little extroverted that I realized I kind of had more of an extroverted personality, but then I realized that INFJs are kind of ambiverts. I think that's the term. Um, They kind of are borderline introverted and extroverted, and they'll kind of swing a little bit back and forth, Um, but we're like 50-something percent. I think it's probably like 53% introverted and 47% extroverted, something like that. So... Basically, we got a good amount of us that's introverted, but we also have a good amount of us that's extroverted. I think the INFJs are actually the extroverted introverts of the introvert group, but they're also, they're they're very deep and philosophical, but they still have, like, so much more to them than that, and, and they have a lot to say, basically. They're kind of, like... I don't know how to describe them, but there are, I I know that, I'm trying to think of like some famous people that are INFJs. Mother Teresa, 
was an INFJ, which is pretty darn cool. INFJs, I think, have like an advocate type personality. So they really like advocating for people, standing up for things. They get very passionate about certain stuff. As you guys can tell, I am a very passionate person about a lot of things. When we are passionate, we go all the way. So I think it's pretty darn cool that I share the same personality type as Mother Teresa, um, which is great because I know that Mother Teresa was able to still struggle, but, like, still find, like, a silver lining and everything, and, um, she has this quote that says, I think she says, like, love until it hurts, and that's something that I've been kind of reminding myself lately. Sometimes it can be very hard to think of others when there's a lot going on inside your head. So if you're a very anxious-minded person, there's just a lot going on in your life and you're stressed out, it's hard to like make time for everybody in your life. Um, I know it's something I always want to do. I always want to make time for everyone in my life. And I feel very guilty when I don't um, because I do strive on serving others. I, I do find that it's so hard to to really dedicate time to everybody and also take care of yourself and accomplish everything you need to do in a day. So something that I've really liked doing is I really like, you know, sending people letters or little gifts here and there or asking them how they are, just quick little things that you can do to show someone that you care. Um, A fun little thing to do would be asking people what their love language is if they know um because that's since christmas time is coming and it's the season of giving i kind of wanted to talk about love languages as well because it's a very interesting topic so not only are we going to talk about my love for my newfound love for for decluttering i always kind of liked it but it's like trying to get yourself to do it it has been it's just a hassle and it's been such a hassle for me because my room is pretty clean on the surface like I never really have dirty clothes anywhere or things piled up or anything like that. If I do, I can't sleep. I can't work. That's just how I am. My space is fairly clean. But the thing is, my closet is another story, guys. I try to keep it somewhat clean, but there's just so much stuff stuffed in there that it doesn't look clean. Like, it's pretty organized, but it's also not at the same time. Like, I know where to find everything, but... It's not as organized as it once was like a year ago. So that's something I'm going to work on this week. And I'm hopefully going to donate some clothes or put some stuff away. Maybe give it to my sister. I don't really know. I'm going to figure that out. But in addition to my newfound motivation to like declutter my room this week, um, I'm, I'm really enjoying talking about personality types because it helps me to like be more, I guess, like, learn to like myself for who I am, because I know it's a struggle. Um, I know it's a struggle for everybody to learn to fully embrace the person that God made you to be. So even though you should never let something like, I don't know, Myers-Briggs personality test define who you are, and your personality type, you know, like, to define who you are, 
same thing for like love languages and all that kind of stuff like there's always going to be exceptions you're not going to fit into a perfect little box i like to describe human beings as these basically as mosaics we're like stained glass windows created by god and stained glass windows aren't perfect i love stained glass windows guys they're so beautiful and when i was little i found them just so mesmerizing like i would stare at them in church and i loved when like the sun would shine through them and like all the colors would dance across the church floor and everybody everywhere else sometimes it would like kind of the colors would kind of land on a person or something i just thought it was really pretty but if you look at like mosaic artwork or something like a stained glass window you can tell it's made of pieces of glass that aren't perfectly cut nothing is perfect or like symmetrical everything is kind of it's like a broken picture that is so beautiful and so unique but you can still see that like still see what it is so like this is a really weird analogy but I do feel like human beings are like stained glass windows because from afar we look all kind of neat and put together or we try to pretend we are but when you look up close we're all And you kind of like look on the inside, basically. Look up close at a stained glass window. You'll notice that like not all the pieces fit together perfectly. Not everything is, you know, perfectly cut and shaped. You know, it has its flaws, but it's so beautiful. And another thing, too, is stained glass windows don't look beautiful unless it's sunny and the sun is streaming through them. So that's kind of like the sun is like God's light streaming through us. We want to be beacons of light for the world. We want to serve God, so we have to share God's light. We have to we have to serve, we have to give back, you know? So basically, season of giving. It's kind of that's where this is tying into. Like we have to let God's light shine through us. And we have to let God heal us and renew us and all that stuff. So he has to shine through our stained glass pieces of art. And we have to share that light with others. Basically, um, since it's pretty much coming up to the season of giving, like um, Thanksgiving is next week. Um which is super duper exciting. And then everybody will be in the, I guess, the mood for Christmas. Everybody will already, like so many people are already getting in the Christmas spirit. It's kind of insane. To be honest, I think it's a bit much. (laughs) Like it's not even Thanksgiving yet. It feels like people keep trying to push it earlier and earlier. I don't know. I don't know if I like that. Anyways, um, since it's like the season of giving, what better way to do that than by, like, asking people what their love languages are, trying to get to know people better and connect with people better and understand people better? Because sometimes, like, I think when we, th- when we think of, like, giving gifts to people, we think of physical things, but... That's not always what we want or we need. Um, Sometimes 
just asking someone what they need help with or just, I don't know, running an errand for someone or being a listening ear or giving someone advice or cheering someone on, whatever it may be, is far more meaningful in the long run than, you know, a gift that someone might trash somewhere along the road of life. (laughs) Like, that's something I'm realizing, like, I think Christmas should be a time of reflection and hope and new life, like a rebirth. Um, And it should also be like a season of giving. And we already know that, but giving of ourselves to others. So studying love languages is a good way to kind of like understand yourself better and understand others better because it helps you to realize that not everybody receives gifts the same way like some people like their love language is physical touch so a hug would mean a million times more to them on a gloomy day than a gift but if your um if your love language is like I don't know receiving gifts then someone giving you like bringing you coffee or something on a day that you're feeling crummy that would just make your entire week so i think it's really interesting to know that like sometimes gift giving isn't always something physical it can be something like some people like words of affirmation so just telling them like hey i'm thinking of you i'm praying for you or asking them if they have any prayer intentions or whatever it may be those are things that people who really like affirmations will deeply appreciate because they like to be recognized they like to be and none of this is in a selfish way so like for example like quality time i think is my top love language which it has been for many many years i really like one-on-one time with people um because as someone who's introverted i really enjoy just getting to know someone and having heart-to-heart conversations and just kind of bonding with them. And then my second highest one would be like gift receiving. So it's not in a like, I need gifts in order to know that I'm loved. (laughs) But like, sometimes a gift could literally just be someone being like, this song made me think of you. Things like that mean the world to me. It'll make me smile from ear to ear. And I'll be like, so grateful and thinking about it all day. So just that's just something that is like something that I'm kind of embracing and I'm also realizing that that not everybody wants or needs the same thing so it's kind of like how as like a Christian like how can I as a Christian serve others to my best ability how can I meet the needs of others you know so if you notice that maybe a certain family member really likes words of affirmation you know just say hey I love you or I'm I'm gonna or let's say you're gonna go on a trip or whatever say I'm gonna miss you just things like that or um I don't know just kind of it's not like stalk people but like I I'm a very observant person and take a lot of stuff in so I tend to like not analyze people's personalities. I would never do that. I don't think that's 
that's healthy at all. Um, um, I don't think it's ever okay to be like analyzing someone or saying that you know someone better than they know themselves. Like, I don't think that's healthy. <laughs> um, but it, it's it's okay to like notice the little things about someone. That means that you care. So if you notice that this person uses the same pen all the time and they love that certain pen but but they maybe that pen is running out of ink or something you could hunt down like the same exact pen for that person I don't know it sounds kind of silly and weird but it's really nice it's so nice and it's so healing and fulfilling to give back in little ways and it doesn't always have to be um you know a, a physical gift it can be you know, a thought, a prayer, you know, some kind words, a short text message, those type of things that really mean a lot to people. And I know that when we stop thinking about ourselves and we start thinking about others, we start healing, we start to, um, you know, we're distracted in the best way that we possibly can be. So we're not like thinking about all the things we have to get done and all the things that are weighing us down and all the things that are making us anxious, you know, causing that pit feeling in our stomach or a knot in our chest, you know, whatever it may be. Like, it's just really nice to refocus and to serve others. And as I was talking about earlier, like how I found that decluttering and finally getting the motivation to get up and do something like that and to force myself to stop studying because I realized it was pointless at that rate and start decluttering, like I feel so much better now. And it's motivated me to approach other things in my room, you know, tackle other tasks this week. And I feel like I'm having more of a like a, a renewed type spirit feeling right now. Which is great because I feel like realizing that you have control of yourself and your feelings is the first step to healing. So saying, no, I'm not going to sit here. I'm not going to allow myself to sit in this pain, in this you know anxiety or whatever. I'm going to get up. I'm going to you know clean. I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. And you're going to take it one step at a time. And then you'll realize, man, I have control of myself. I have control of my feelings. You, I mean, I always have, right? It's not that you never did or you feel like you have, like people are controlling you. Nobody can control you. That's another thing too. It's like nobody can control you. We choose how we react, but people can People can still affect us, though, and moods can affect us, and when people are in a different mood, like, I've noticed that, like, I'm an empath, so if somebody's really sad, I'm going to take their sad feelings on me as well, and so sometimes that can be very, very draining. Another thing I've realized, too, is, you know, over-obsessively, like, worrying about others isn't healthy, And it's, I got, I used to get to this point where I was like, if somebody would ask me to pray for somebody that was sick and dying, um, I would pray really hard. And if that person died, I would blame myself for not praying hard enough that that person died. And it would weigh me down like crazy. And I was talking to my dad and he says, that's no, 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 that's, that's not, that's not true, you know? 
um, the fact that I was worried and that I prayed and that I feel grief, you know, when that person died, even if I didn't know this person, even if I barely knew this person, whatever it was, you know, it's like the thought of just caring enough to think about someone and pray for someone is so powerful. Um, and if we're able to just give a little bit of our time, God will take that and do wonders with it. And I've noticed too that when I'm worried about a friend or someone or something going on, I'll just be like, this is what my dad prays for. Like when, when somebody asks him to pray for, for someone or whatever, he'll just pray for the person, be like, God, I would like to pray for this person and state their name that you might help them to heal spiritually, mentally, and physically. And, you know, if you want to add more to that, elaborate on that a little bit more, you can. But just asking God to help their spiritual health, you know, their relationship with God, their physical health. So if they're sick or if something's wrong, they're not feeling well. And then their mental health. So help reduce any feelings of stress or anxiety or depression, whatever it may be. Because we all experience all those things. We all go through ups and downs in our faith life, in our health life. whether it's like mental health or physical health, whatever it may be, we all go through those trials. So when we're thinking of someone and praying for something for someone, it's it's beautiful and it's simple and it's powerful, but just praying that way can just help you to know that God's in control. He's always in control and that we can't save anybody. That's another thing that it's like if you find that you're you're an empath or you really want to help someone and you're sad that You couldn't help them to the level that you wanted them to or they didn't care or whatever it may be. Um, As long as you're not doing that like selfishly, you know, like all that's healthy, all that is good to a certain degree. Um, But you should never try to like fix someone. No, you can't change how someone's going to act or react or you can't control anybody. You can't. You just can't. we are the only ones that can control ourselves and our thoughts and how we react. Um, but we can motivate people. We can uplift people. We shouldn't push people down. We shouldn't make people feel bad for who they are or what state of life they're in. We need to uplift them. We need to motivate them. But we can't, we can't like expect them to change, especially if that's just how they are. Um, so if you find that when you're, you know, trying to help someone or whatever, and you're sad that there's not much you can do, prayer is so powerful, and they don't have to know you're praying. That's another thing, too, is I think, um, like, you should tell someone that you're praying for them, because it's so healing, and it takes a weight off of their chest, but, like, another thing, too, is, like, just as long as it doesn't get to the point where you are taking it in kind of like a vain way like ooh i'm i'm praying more for this person than this person is therefore i'm going to save this person it's not that's that's not how it works one thing you guys should know is that only god can save somebody only god can help somebody it's god receiving our prayers and seeing our hurt and our pain and our grief and all that kind of stuff that moves him um and Again, too, we have to, like, be willing to say each and every day in each and every situation, thy will be done. 
like God's will needs to be done, not our will. And we're in a society that's always like, God, give me this or heal me from this or all this kind of stuff. When I look back at the lives of the saints, I see people who said, God, thank you for giving me this right now. Help me to use this for your greater glory. Help me to strive towards sainthood. You know, all these different things. Like, they would take something and they would see so much beauty in it. They would thank God for it. And they would be like, if it's your will for me to suffer this, to go through this trial, um, to do this or that, let thy will be done, you know? And it's so cool, too, because you look back at the lives of the saints, so many of them begged God for to do those things. They begged God to bring sufferings upon them so that way they might basically become completely dependent on God and detach from this world, detach from comfort, whether that was physical comfort or mental comfort, whatever it was, they were detaching themselves. And with that, they were inspiring those around them. And that's what we're called to do. And we have to know that we can't fix anybody. We can't save anybody. Only God can. And we have to say at the end of the day, at the end of the day, that will be done. And it is important to pray for others and to think of others and to let others know that you're thinking about them and praying for them. As long as you're not like um, that parable that Jesus says where there was um, one man that was, you know, praying and offering sacrifices out in the open and fasting and all this kind of stuff and there was another person who was doing that in private and was so humble about it and so small and so simple in his actions but those were so powerful and and of course the one that was praying in private and fasting in private and didn't try to appear that they were fasting all those type of things was more pleasing in the eyes of God and so I always really, really liked that parable, and I always really thought it was something that was just so important in our society. Um, So I think it's like, I don't know, it's just so important to do that, and that's something that I'm trying to strive to do. Um, But yeah, basically learn to like just adapt and, and accept and strive and struggle, like all these type of things are just really important for drawing closer to God, to creating really good, healthy relationships with others, you know, Um, understanding yourself will help you to understand how you react in certain situations, understanding your love language and how everybody's love language is different, not everybody is going to appreciate things that you appreciate to the same degree um but still showing someone you care especially around this time of year is so important whether that is just calling a loved one that you haven't talked to in a long time or um I don't know just running an errand I think I've already mentioned that several times but just those little things that mean a ton and of course like giving gifts is super fun I love it um but I I do think that gifts from the heart just mean a million times more so maybe maybe I can inspire you guys I I've been trying to do stuff that's semi homemade for friends for a little while now so last year I painted 
um, like custom mugs from my friends and then I tried stealing them. It was a nightmare and I don't think any of them turned out and I apologize to anyone listening to this that I gave you one of those mugs because I tried and it was really difficult to try to find the right type of paint and seal and mugs. So um, I'm going to try something a little different this year for people. Not really sure yet, but um, it's fun and it's so therapeutic to make gifts for others. Last year, I uh, would turn on some Christmas music and I would do it at the end of a school day for an hour or so. I would turn on my Christmas lights. Sometimes, you know, I would take like a tea break or something. Oh, it was super fun, guys. I loved it. So I'm hoping I'll maybe do the same this year, December and I want to say like November, like end of November through end of December are like my favorite. It's like my favorite time of the year. Um, January, I love January, but it's a little rough for me because I always get sick in January. Um, I just basically get really, really bad allergies to the point where I feel sick for like two weeks, sometimes a month. Um, and it's like, I know I don't have mono or pneumonia or anything. It's just really, really bad allergies and I like lose my voice. So I'm hoping that that's not the case this year, but something in the air during January, kind of like end of December happens. I don't know what's in the air, but something triggers my anxiety, not my anxiety, (laughs) my allergies really, really badly, um, which is not fun coming into the new year without a voice but it's purgatory time that's what my mom's friend says I love it and I've been using it now to like motivate myself to like make sacrifices more so I say purgatory time so I will offer it up for you know maybe like a specific soul in purgatory or I'll be like offering it up for someone that I know here on earth that's struggling a lot Um, Or I say, like, God, do what you will with this. Um, Another great thing, too, is, like, God sends us sufferings here that he knows we can handle. And knowing that is so comforting. And we have his help here on earth. But when we're in purgatory, we're completely cut off from God and we have to detach. We have to learn how to let go and to detach from sin and worldly things in order to draw closer to God and be clean, perfectly clean in order to enter heaven. And um, I think there's like different levels to heaven, like not the Mormon type thing where you get your own heaven or you get your own planet or something. No, Uh, but there was a vision or several visions given to maybe like several different saints. I'm really sad that I'm blanking out on this. But um, I know that there are different... I think St. Therese talked about this. Um, I have a quote book thing of St. Therese quotes. Um, I think I might have mentioned that on here before. If not on here, I mentioned it in a blog post. Um, I don't know if I shared my blog with anybody. I wrote a blog post today because I was like, might as well... Um, so I do it through this site, Wix, W-I-X, um, but so it's like partnered through them or whatever, but it's free, and my blog is called A Striving Saint, 
So if you're friends with me and you know me and you can't really find it, because that's another thing too, it's hard to find on the internet, um, I can send you a link if you're interested, but I wrote a blog post today um, called The Next Chapter on the Path to Sainthood, and I talked about how we, at times, we often, like, just take advantage of things, and we don't really learn to soak things in until we realize that one day they could all be gone, um, so I kind of want to read that to you guys real quick, and then just kind of end this podcast episode, because I feel like it's kind of relevant, but it's basically some thoughts that I have, because, you know, leaving, um, for college and all that kind of stuff, the whole idea has been very, very difficult on me, very, very hard on my mental health, and kind of expressing that, putting that into words is helping me a lot, because as I wrote this, I cried a lot, but it was very healing, and I felt like somebody out here in this world needs to hear this. I can't be the only one, Um, so I'm just going to read it real quick. I'm not going to go into detail about it, but maybe I will in my next episode because it's a topic I think that is something that we could all relate to at maybe we, some of you guys related to this in the past or relate to this right now or might relate to it at some point. I don't know, but my purpose was to share myself, my own feelings, my own realization that I had today when I was really struggling to pray. So I was like, I'm just going to journal. So I didn't actually like get out a physical journal and start journaling I just got out a a good old google doc and um used my favorite colored font and I just started writing and I came up with this and then I um shared it in a blog post so I'm gonna read it I apologize if it doesn't make sense but it was just God and the Holy Spirit I trace my hands across the walls in our maze-like hallways. I take a little longer to get out of bed as I sniff the warm blankets my close friend gave me. I take a little longer to eat dinner with my family and linger at the kitchen sink. I look around at the beautiful messes and soak in their taint to glory. I study out in the open with the sun streaming through our windows and falling on our purring cat. I walk our bumpy streets like it'll be my last. For the first time in my life, I'm learning to slow down. I'm learning to soak in the beauty of life right now because all of this won't be the same next year. Next year, I'll get less family hugs and pet snuggles. Next year, I may be miles away. You know, I realize that I will miss the messes, family meetings, and chores. I'll miss the Sunday dinners that we have out. I'll miss giggling over the office at midnight with the people I call family. I'll miss the bear-like hugs my close friend gives gives me. I'll miss having content to add to our quote book. I'll miss it all. It's crazy that you don't start taking advantage of the little things and start soaking in every moment until you realize that it'll all be gone one day. While home is a place, it's also a feeling. The feeling you get when you're with the ones you love. In that case, while I may leave home and be on my own very soon, I will take that feeling with me everywhere I go. It's something I can always come back to. So I am not ashamed of taking all the time in the world to do anything these days. I'm not lazy. I'm learning what it means to finally live and be grateful for every moment. 
In a world that is running a marathon every second of every day, I'm learning that life isn't a race. It's really a dance you take at your own pace. I'm learning to hold on to every moment and every person a little longer. Maybe it took the death, death of a few loved ones, a toxic job, the shrinking of my friend group, and applying to colleges that real, to realize all of this this year. In fact, I am still learning this, but it's the first time in this messy year that I have come to accept all of the anxiety attacks, horrible physical symptoms of anxiety, loss, and the fact that I didn't accomplish much in terms of success. In the eyes of society and certain people I have encountered, I may have failed drastically this year, but I think this is success in the eyes of God. That's what matters, right? I will keep on soaking in the happy tears that come with learning to grow up and letting go of my comfort zone. After all, our home is not on earth, it's in heaven. The path to heaven isn't easy, but that's what makes it worth it. That's what makes worth that's what makes it worth striving towards sainthood. It's worth every trial, abandonment, and anxious moment. So that's, those were my thoughts. Just kind of reading them out loud to you guys. Realizing that for the first time, I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed of the fact that I've been taking things really slow recently. I'm not ashamed of the fact that I don't have it all together like people around me and that was something that I've been really struggling with because I have been judged for certain things over the years I have had people say certain things to me and make me doubt my worth and um what I want to do with my life you know I've had people be like oh so you want to be a stay-at-home mom like okay um or you want to be a writer? Oh, that's, you know, like, that's that's cool, but good thing you're being a stay-at-home mom. You know what I mean? Like, I've had people say these things to me over the years, and it does hurt. It hurts to know that people think that just because I don't want to be some power woman, <laughs> power woman in quotation marks, that is traveling the world and refuses to settle down, wants to wear pantsuits and work in some office in New York City like just because I don't want that doesn't mean that I'm not going to be a successful person in my own way and that's another thing too is I'm realizing that I can be successful in the eyes of God and that's what matters so I don't feel ashamed for not getting a ton of stuff done over the past few months because I've experienced the loss of two loved ones that I didn't know were going to hurt. I experienced, you know, a very toxic job that I had to let go. I experienced, you know, I, I saw that my friend group was shrinking. You know, people were moving away. People were growing distant. I felt like I was the only one reaching out to certain people. Like, all these, realizing all these things hurt, and it was hard. And I've been through a lot, but to be honest compared to other people out there that are suffering far worse than me, like, I still got it good. And I still have so much going for me. There's so much left in life that, like, this is only the beginning. And me realizing this was a very humbling experience. Because today, I felt so crummy. I was like, oh, like, all these people have 
you know, jobs and all these crazy jobs and work hours and all this kind of stuff and before college and all these type of things. And I'm starting to finally realize that, no, I'm not them. They're not me. I'm happy with me. I'm finally learning to be happy with myself. And it's not something that I'm going to accept overnight. It's not something I'm going to like just learn how to live from here on out. It's something I have to learn how to live again and again and again each day. It's like what C.S. Lewis, I don't know if he wrote about this, if he said this or what, but in some sort of quote, and I think I might have said this before, you have to learn to surrender to God at the beginning of each and every day. When the sun comes up, boom, surrender to God. When the sun goes down, boom, surrender to God. Like You have to constantly be surrendering yourself over to God. It's not something, that's another thing that kind of distinguishes us like Catholics from Protestants. And it's beautiful that a Protestant like, um, that a very Catholic-minded Protestant like C.S. Lewis was able to realize this. Like C.S. Lewis believed in purgatory. C.S. Lewis um, wrote about grief in a very like Catholic-minded way. He he was a very Catholic-influenced Protestant, I guess. So it might have been the fact that his best friend was a Catholic, but I can say from my experience that he did write about certain things, talk about certain things, believed in certain things, came to a conclusion about certain things that are very Catholic-minded. But anyways, like, that's what's so beautiful about Catholicism, because Catholicism teaches that. That's why we have things like, that's why we sin each day, that's why we um, are baptized, that's why we have the sacraments, you know, all these type of things, because we have to be baptized because we have to be washed away of original sin. But just because we're washed away from original sin at baptism doesn't mean we're free from sin for the rest of our life. And that's a very Protestant-minded outlook because Protestants believe that you're saved once and you just ask God for forgiveness and everything's fine. But Catholicism teaches that one of the reasons why we have the sacraments is because we're imperfect human beings. We still have that stain from original sin. While it was washed away and we were made new, we're a part of the church now, we're a part of Christ, by being baptized, we're still human, we still sin all the time. Even the saints sinned. Even the holiest of holy people (laughs) sinned. Um, Well, Mary didn't. And Jesus didn't. The only two people that walked the earth that didn't sin. They didn't have any trace of sin on their souls. Only two people. But even Joseph sinned. He was human. He's part of the holy family, guys. So I guess what I'm saying here is that, like, it's a beautiful thing that we have the sacrament. That as Catholics, we can go to confession and we can have those sins wiped away and we have this chance to start again and all these things. It's just so beautiful that we have that. And it's just an outward sign of God's love for us. And that's what a sacrament means. So I think it's just so beautiful that we have that, but it's so beautiful that like even C.S. Lewis, a Protestant was able to see that the importance of surrendering and trying again every single day, because it's a battle. It's not easy. And 
I just felt like this sense of, even though I've been really anxious today and have felt pretty meh, very crummy, my, like this morning, realizing that and and typing that out and sharing that with people, oh, it didn't feel good. And talking about this now and reflecting on it further feels even better because it's helping me to realize that I'm not my friends. I'm not the my past. I'm not, you know, some of my mistakes. I'm not any of that. And, and I'm learning what it means to strive towards sainthood. And thinking about it, all the saints are so different. Not one of them is the same. And that's what's amazing about it.